Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedian, founder and CEO of Dedian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am your host, Christopher Dedian, and today I am so blessed and honored to have Michael Ekman II, who is the founder of Adapt Wealth Partnership, which is a wealth management firm that helps entrepreneurs, professional athletes with their money journey. My brother, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing today? I am blessed. Thank you very much. Michael, I gave a little introduction to the community over here of what you do, but can you go a bit more in depth of what you do, who you are, so on and so forth? Yeah, absolutely. So we started Adaptive Wealth Partners to really give our clients the opportunity to learn how to save and manage their money, how to make it grow, how to bring um, high level resources that a lot of firms only give to clients that have multi-million dollar accounts to people that are really just starting out in their financial journey. And we uh, decided that we wanted to help focus on business owners because I think that as a business owner, you're putting so much time and effort into your business, you don't know how to build wealth and how to turn that journey into a strong financial picture for your future. I love that, Michael. And you said something I really want to highlight and unpack with you here. So you're saying that a lot of these firms have portfolios or work with people that have portfolios in the millions and hundreds of millions and so on. And they use certain techniques and certain approaches to grow their wealth completely different than what they tell to somebody that has a smaller portfolio. Is that correct? What you just, what you just said, did I understand correctly? Yeah, absolutely. There's tools and resources out there that are available for smaller households to, to start growing and, and building but a lot of people don't even know what questions to ask uh, as they're starting their financial journey. So if you don't know that you should have a financial plan and you don't know what that financial plan needs to have inside of it, or you don't see the benefit of having a budget, most people look at a budget as, oh, it's going to limit me on what I spend. And for us, it's actually giving people the freedom to spend what they yeah. want to spend on the items that they they want to, to spend money on and put their effort into. And a lot of it is developing and taking the time to work with individuals that came from a background, maybe that's similar to mine, where you didn't really know growing up right where you wanted to be and where that journey was going to end, because that journey is just beginning. I mean, every day is a new journey for us, and we want to make sure that we're putting our time and effort into the right things so that re- that retirement picture that we all want at the end of the day, we can achieve it. And there's ways to do that. And that doesn't necessarily mean that a client that has just started a business and is just being able to put some money into savings shouldn't have the same tools and resources as someone that's running a multi-million dollar company. Michael, I love that. You mentioned something I really want to highlight. You talked about budget and 
maybe a different analogy of people to understand what budget is. Budget is not something that's going to take away, but it's going to give, which is actually very similar to when I work with my clients and my coaching uh, practice when it comes to time management and discipline. They think time management or discipline is going to take away, but in fact, it's going to give so much more. And that's the aspect of the budget. So I love that. And tell me, when did you start realizing that you need to do this? You need to open a firm to talk to the people that have like I said, not the millions of dollars, but maybe the hundreds of thousands or a couple of thousands, whatever, to really show them what is possible. Was there a story? Was, did something click that you really wanted to go towards this direction? Um, I just spent the last eight, eight years working for larger firms, you know, the largest firms on Wall Street, and saw that they were taking care of themselves or taking care of the shareholders. And for us, the the meaning of a smaller firm is that I can spend more time with the clients that I want to work with and that want to work with me versus just looking at the bottom line of what the, the profit and loss report is. Now, that's always important. We got to understand that, that I got to pay the bills in order to do that. But at the same time, I, I view it as there's an opportunity for clients that are of a, a younger generation or not even young, but just you know, under 50 that are going to be inheriting millions of dollars from parents and grandparents. And just like when someone wins the lottery, they go through that money. The average, I think, is 2.3 years that they've gone through their, their full lottery winnings. Well, what happens when you inherit a million dollars? Probably the same numbers because you're not prepared. And here in the U.S., I believe we do a terrible job of coaching people to be ready for a strong financial life during school or even as a young adult. And I think that that's just that piece that's that's missing out there. And we have to be able to fill in that, that void. And sometimes that means doing work that's not going to pay us as much as other work, but it's just as valuable and just as important, if not more, because we can now change generational lives versus just holding on to, oh, well, this client has a million dollars in their account. Well, what does that mean if you're going to pass it on to the next generation and they're going to get go, be out of it in two years or a year? Let, let's build the foundation for everyone and establish the financial skills necessary for people to be successful in life. I love that. I love that, that, that approach, that ideology, the way to teach. And you know what? You said you're from the States. I'm thinking you said uh, Las Vegas. Uh, and that's not only in the States. In Canada, the same thing. Definitely, there's a lack in education system of teaching people of how to be uh, wealthy in the mindset of wealthy, not financially having the money, but knowing what to do with it once it's there or how to cultivate it and how to grow it. And I do know that you work with a lot of athletes. And I wanted to mention that for the people that are just listening, uh, for, for the people that are viewing over here, Michael has three major uh, sports trophies in the background, the baseball, the NFL, and the basketball uh, trophies. And I do know that you work with athletes. And you just did mention that an average when people win the lottery, they save their um, their money that they've saved for like two and a half years. And we do know what athletes that that is a situation as well. When some athletes come from a less affluent background and then they get immense amount of money and they lose it right away. How do you deal with that? Is it something you see in a consistent basis or it's getting a lot better? How do you deal with some of those clients and what can you speak about that? So I, I, it is getting better. Um, but it's not quite there yet. I mean, being a professional athlete, the, the viewpoint is, is that you're making a lot of money, which you are, but mm-hmm. you're making a lot of money. Um, but the, the issue is, or one of the main issues is 
you're spending on average three to five years as a professional career, right? So you spent the same or less time as a professional athlete than you did as a college student, right? And it's not just enough time to for people to really build those financial resources and tools and that concept of building wealth in their mind, especially when you're an athlete and you want to hand off all that work, right? You're an athlete. You want to focus on being an athlete during your in-season time. You're not very reachable. So a lot of it is just putting together the time and the effort to build foundations that are simple to understand. So even though a financial plan might be 60 to hundred pages long, let's face it. Most people don't read past the first five if they get that far into it. Right. I mean, it's stuff that I might be interested in reading, but most of my clients are like, you know, this is French. You're, you're in Canada. So maybe, um, you know, Spanish to you guys up, up there, but when, when we're looking at it, we have to make those plans as simple as possible. So we use simple plans. We know that working with performance coaches that have dealt with athletes, that we can generally keep track of three tasks at a time. And only one new task at any one time can you actually learn and process and become a habit with doing. So we want to make sure that our clients are seeing that as well. So if I'm coaching my teams and, and my employees to do that, we want to make sure that, that the client plan is on pace with that. So when we ask a client to do something, we don't give them a list of 10 tasks that they're going to need to do. We sit down and we say, okay, well, based on where you're at, based on where the market is, this is the one thing that we need you to do next. And by doing that, it starts having people take control of that financial process in their own household. And we bring that to our clients that are athletes. And a lot of them really enjoy that process and see great results because they're able to start learning how to manage money and learning how to make better decisions. And there are gives and takes. I mean, when we're talking about spending money on uh, nutritionists and trainers and doctors and recovery, that's an insane amount of money to normal human beings. And we've got to make sure that we've got those things there because that's going to facilitate additional earnings and additional income later in life for those athletes. But we also want to make sure that they're set up for the next generation, right? That next service of where they're going to be in life. What do they want to do after they retire? I mean, we're in a position in in this world where we're seeing younger and younger people go out and retire or graduate from the workplace that they're currently in. And we want to make sure that they're set up for success in that next spot. And that might not necessarily be the conventional viewpoint of, I'm going to spend 11 to 18 years in retirement because I'm going to retire at 60 or 65. And we want to make sure that no matter what that client's got on their page next, we make that financial plan a living, breathing being that adjusts for what they have going on in life. and it changes. You got to be flexible and you have to be able to sit down with clients and sit down with employees and focus on what's important. And it's not always about what you can make in an investment. Sometimes you're saving them more money by paying less in taxes or understanding how to inherit money, right? Versus how how it's currently set up, right? So you can make changes to how you inherit the money to cause you to pay less in taxes. 
So all of those things, especially when working with athletes, understanding the taxes and situation that they're in and the lifestyle that they're in, we can make those adjustments for. Michael, I love what you're saying and I'm vibing with it. And predominantly because what I understand is that you're coaching your clients. You're not just telling them, hey, do this, do that. You're teaching them how to go about it, how to create generational wealth and how to put the systems and, and uh, structure towards that. And furthermore, previously you mentioned that you know it, it's okay to make X amount of money, but the reality is how you make your money is so much more important than how much you make it. And now I know that you were obviously uh, the CEO and you have a team under you at your uh, wealth management team here. How do you teach that to your team members? Like, obviously, you're in a very, very, very money-driven industry, and it's really important sometimes, you know, the big boys showing up and all that, which I'm sure is a part of the game, which is perfectly okay. But how do you keep that ideology? Because you, hearing what you're saying, brother, I would invest with you tomorrow morning just from the authenticity that I'm feeling. But how do you teach that to your employees? How many employees do you have? What's your structure with that? So we've got four employees currently working with us. Um we're growing. We're looking at moving up to the Reno market um, with another employee. We, we've growing an office in, in another part of the state will be definitely a different challenge for us in terms of not, not a bad challenge, but a good challenge, right? Like mm-hmm. what I can wake up to and get ready to do the next day. So we keep small teams. I want to bring employees on that have the values that we've instilled in the current team to the future. I don't want to bring someone on that's not going to be the right fit for our clients. And I'm okay missing out on some clients by doing that because I know that we're going to we're going to have to sacrifice on the quality. So for us it's about hiring the right people and then it goes into training and the training's never over. So we work on training here in the office where we'll listen to each other's calls to clients and We'll understand what's going on and have conversations about how to make a conversation more relatable to people that are investing. Because let's face it, just like reading that financial plan, if we were to look at the the investment portfolio, that's where I love doing my work. But not everyone's that way. Not everyone's going to wake up and check the market as soon as they they're up in the morning to see what happened overseas before they, you know, the market here opens. So we've got to understand that. But again, it's focusing on what's important to the client, right? So we keep a three-step plan where we're trying to get our clients to keep the appropriate amount of emergency cash as the first step. Build out the emergency cash. But when something happens, you get traded or you have an expense that's unexpected in your household, you have the money to do that. And don't keep that money with your financial advisor. The reason that financial advisors tell you to move your emergency cash to them is because they get paid a percentage of that cash each year to sit there and manage it. Well, it's earning what? 0.01% in the bank. Maybe it's earning 0.25, so a quarter of 1%, but it's costing you 1% to have them watch that money for you. So you're not really making any money. So we want to make sure that our clients have the first step taken care of before they even start as a client. And if they don't, we set up a plan for how we need to take care of that emergency cash and how to get them in a position to where they have six to nine months worth of expenses saved up. And it's not just kind of their bills, right? So it's money that you want to go on vacation with every six months, or it's money that you need to use to pay for your car insurance every six months. And we want to make sure that those numbers are included in that and that you don't have to change the lifestyle if something changes in the world. I mean, I've gone eight years now 
kind of arguing with clients about why to keep emergency cash, right? They're like, well, if I put it into the market, it's going to earn more than it's earning in the bank. Absolutely. But most of our clients that had layoff last year or got furloughed didn't have to change their lifestyle. And that takes so much stress off of a financial relationship and you and your spouse that you don't have to be in a different position. The last thing you want to do is have to cancel a vacation or a trip that you want to go on that your spouse or the kids are looking forward to just because you have something bad happen financially. So we want to make sure that that's in in that place for our clients. And then we look at the second step of our plan, and that's what we call our extra spare tire fund. So that's a dollar amount that's equal to our clients' six to nine months worth of emergency cash, but it's earmarked to take advantage of downturns in the market, right? We know, historically speaking, research-based, that there's 38 times in the last 70 years that the market's had a downturn of 10% or more. So the downturns are going to happen. Most people are worried about the, the times that the market's down 40% or more. Well, but that's only happened three times in that same period. And financial advisors that don't understand that and don't coach their clients to be able to take advantage of those opportunities are missing out on growth and their clients are frankly underserved because their financial advisor doesn't want to talk about the downsides. Right? There's a reason they call it life insurance and not death insurance. Death insurance doesn't sell, but that's what happens to, in order to get the money. So when we talk with our clients, it's my job not to just have the fun upfront, yes, the market's moving forward conversation, but it's also my job to be able to have the, the downside conversations and talk about what's really going on out there. And that takes us to the third step of our plan. And the third step is simply what we call our 10% down, 10% in. So when the market does have a 10% downturn, we take 10% of that extra spare tire fund and we invest it in their portfolio. Because we know that just like human nature, you can't be scared of something at the same time as you're you're happy about something. You can be close, but you can't be in that same mental time frame with, with both opportunities. So we know that if our clients are buying in when the market's down and they have a strategy on how to buy in when the market's down, we've just coached them through a whole process of building wealth. Okay. Well, I mean, so many things you just say kind of blew my mind from the last 70 years, 36 down uh, times more than 10%. And obviously you make your money when they're down, you make your money on the buy. And you did mention as well, uh, don't necessarily give your money to a manager that's going to give you 1.5 return on it. And that being said, my question to you over here is what is currently one of the best place to invest? And I know this is a very like vague, open question, but if somebody asks you that, what would you direct them towards? Is it real estate? Is it stocks? Is it bonds? Is it Bitcoins? Is it X, Y, and Z? What would you talk to that when we talked about percentage return wise? Yeah. So I, I think the biggest answer is that you need to be investing appropriately to get your returns okay. so that, 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 that you need. So if you don't need to get 15, 20% a year, you don't need to invest like you need to get 20 or 15 or 20% a year. Now, does that mean that you can't do that? You can't structure real estate deals. You can't invest in stocks that'll get you there. No, absolutely not. But it's also a risk reward, right? We need to make sure that we're understanding what you're comfortable with risk-wise 
and making sure that we're accounting for that. Because the last thing that you want a financial advisor to do is put you into a higher risk portfolio without talking about what that downside risk is at the same time. So myself, we have two rental properties. We have some real estate investments outside of that. We also own a lot of equities for growth. Um, I compare equities and bonds to cattle prices. So if you're a, a equity investor, you're looking to own companies or own stock in a company, you care about what the price of beef is. You care about what the dollar per pound is. Mm-hmm. If you're a milk farmer, you don't care what the price of, of beef is. You care what the price per gallon is, but you care about how much milk you're getting out of that cow each day. So when we talk about bonds, you're the milk farmer. When we talk about stocks, you're the beef farmer. So we want to make sure that our clients are understanding that back and forth and both have risks. And we've been in a situation over the last 10, 15 years where bonds have been that safe, steady, reliable source of income. But if we have a 300% interest rate change where interest rates go from 1% to 3%, then we're in a position where bonds are going to come down in value. And that thing that you've relied on for returns might take seven or eight years to come back. So if we look at 1976 to 1981, we went from 5% interest rates to 15%. It didn't matter if your portfolio and bonds dropped 25% because you made it back within two years. But if you go from from 1% to 3% and your portfolio drops 25%, you're going to be in a situation where it's going to take seven or eight years to make your money. So you have to understand that every investment that you go into, whether it's a business, whether it's a real estate, there's always some kind of risks. And I think over the last 12 months, people have seen more of that risk. I mean, people that own real estate that are still sitting on people not paying rent, they're probably not in a great financial position, especially if they had every dollar in that portfolio. But if they spread out that risk and they diversify the portfolio, then they're going to be in a much better position. Um, for, for us, high quality rising income investments is where we are putting more money than other spots right now. So investments that pay a dividend, that grow that dividend, that produce additional growth for our clients. When we have high interest rate increases and high inflation increases, those high quality rising dividend investments historically have done better than anything else. But we're also we're also in a time that technology is going to change every sector of the market. Yeah, you know. So I was just meeting with a, an investment manager, and we were talking about, you know, an investment like John Deere, not necessarily as an investment, but just how they're using the technology back and forth, right? So their John Deere's tractors now can use cameras to view crops and see which ones are weeds, which ones are crops, and they only spray the the killer weed killer on the 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 weeds versus spraying the whole field. So better health, better yields, more money saved for the farmers, yeah. more growth and more money to spend on other things. So every every sector historically that hasn't been a technology sector out there is going to see technology influence what's going on. 
Michael, I mean, you just dropped a lot of gems over there, and I hope people are going to re-listen to this. Let me just highlight a couple of them. So first and foremost, obviously, I think something we've already heard, but you kind of mentioned it, the diversification of your portfolio is so much more important than having it in one place. Uh, as well, the analogy you gave with the milk and the beef, that clarified a lot for me. So understand what are you actually trying to go towards with that particular investment. So if you're looking at bonds, it's one thing. If you look at stocks, another thing. And the main thing to highlight that I got out of it, Michael, and you'll tell me if I'm correct with this, it really depends about your position within your life, where you are and your risk tolerance. Somebody that's 30, 40, 50, whatever, in the beginning of their life, they could be maybe a bit more aggressive. Your late parts of your life, maybe you want to be a bit different. So it really depends about where you are. So you could be as aggressive or as minimal as you want within your journey, within your success level. So I love all of that. And Michael, as this show is called the Peak Performance Greatness Show, everything here we talk about is about performance and how to go to that peak. And obviously, you're a successful person. Obviously, you have an amazing firm and you've made a great life for yourself. My question is, what do you do on a daily basis to bring yourself to a peak state, even before you pick up the, the call, even before you start with your first meeting, even before you start with your colleagues? What do you do to get there? You did mention that you read some of the information that happened uh, on the other uh, parts of this planet of what's happening with the finances. But what else do you do with your rituals, habits, and so on? Yeah, so great question. Um, for myself personally, I've worked with Dr. Jason Selk who's an author and sports performance uh, coach here in the U.S. for the last three or four years. And part of that coaching is to start identifying at the beginning of the day, three tasks that I need to do to be super successful. If I do these three tasks 80% of the time in a week, I am going to hit my goals. So we boil it down to something that's super simple. So for me, it's coming in and at 9.30 every morning, I sit down and I, I go through what I call abnormal time because most people don't want to do this, right? I do some, some clarification on what my vision of life is and what I want that vision to be. And I do it in first person. So I'm waking up in this specific house, um, overlooking the beach. I wake up and go read for 15, 20 minutes, go to the gym, work out with my kids. Like this is all going through and it happens in about a 30 second period, right? I'm only spending 30 seconds on it, but mentally I'm going through this first person review of what I want my life to be, what I want, want to do in the future. And then shortly after that, I get right into like, not shortly, but immediately, immediately after that, I get into these three tasks. So the first one is I have to make my three most important calls for the day. Um, my second one is I've got to reach out to someone that's going to be able to send me a referral as a client. And the third one is being able to get an article written or spend 15 minutes writing an article that I can post onto the website blog and send out to our clients and prospective clients about what we need to do. And all of that is done within 45 minutes. So immediately after that, I'm making a list of what my three most important calls are the next day. So by 1030 in the morning, I've already done my three most important calls, my three most important tasks, and I'm already prepared for what I need to do the next day. So then it doesn't matter if I want to leave work at two or three in the afternoon and I'm like, oh man, I didn't do my list for tomorrow. It's already done. 
So that has ignited my business, ignited the ability to grow and to make more time and make more money without having to work harder. I love it, Michael. I mean, for the viewers, for not for the viewers, for the listeners that are not watching this, the whole time Michael was talking about this, I have a smile from ear to ear, like a little kid in a candy store, because this just explains and shows time and time again, anybody that is successful has ritual and habits that they stick toward. And Michael's over here was so great. First and foremost, he has a coach, so he has an outside perspective to see how we could improve, how he could optimize his life. The highest successful people all have coaches. Let's just start with there. Second of all, he puts his top three tasks, top three goals he wants to accomplish in every single day, which I love. Then he takes some time to visualize the power of visualization is so effing important. Then he goes with doing something that Brian Tracy calls eat the frog. He takes the thing that he doesn't want to do the most, probably the most difficult thing, and he gets it done right off the top of his day. That's going to give a positive momentum, which in this case is prospecting, calling for potential clients. Who do I know? Who, who needs my services? Who can I help? And then finally, once that's done, after 45 minutes of starting his day, he plans his next day. And then everything else I'm sure he's doing is gravy. My brother, it's so obvious that you're seeing just what, what you're saying over here. And I love it. And one last thing I'm going to say is that when it comes to placing three tasks per day, what you're doing is you're breaking down your big goal to a manageable step to something you control every single day. You could control those three tasks. So Michael, congratulations with all that. Thank you for sharing all of that gems over there. And I'm going to ask you one last question because I want to be respectful for your time. And after that, I have a little uh, end over here. I want you to kind of tell us what is the best thing about the financial industry and what is the worst thing about the financial industry from your opinion? From my opinion, the financial industry has definitely not been where I intended to start my life. Um, okay. So for me, I eventually moved into the financial industry because I had parents and grandparents that got terrible financial advice or had financial advisors that didn't listen to what their actual needs were and just sold them a product because they got paid a commission. Um, so for me, that's, that's both the positive and the negative because it's allowed me to know exactly what I don't want my practice to look like and how I can truly help people and take the time to, to focus on what's important to our clients. Um, and then from the negative side is that that happens all too often. So we sit down with people every day that we hear not necessarily horror stories, but just not the best stories. And I think as financial advisors, you truly are an advisor and you owe it to your client to be at the top of your game and to know all of these numbers that we've talked about today. And understand how your clients are going to respond mentally to opportunities in the market, how they're going to respond to downturns in the market. And your job isn't necessarily just to say, yes, that's what we need to do. More often than not, the conversation is about, this is where we want to go on our journey and we need to be able to focus on how to get there, right? The reward is, is that journey. And the clients that understand that do a much much better job and they're better off in retirement or in that next set of goals that they have for themselves when they get done with the first one. So we need to focus on, on the positive. We need to bring clients along for the journey and share how we work and share our personal resources and our personal story with our clients. Because let, let's face it, most people think that financial advisors just have the answer to every financial situation that's out there. And 
for myself, I spent six months homeless when I was a young adult. And it took me time to learn how to, or not learn how to, but learn how to balance a checkbook and why I need to keep track of that and be able to turn my own life around so that that way I could be successful and I could help other people's lives be successful at the same time. Michael, you just opened the door. I so want to go into it, but I want to be respectful for your time. The fact that you just mentioned you're homeless, I mean, that is amazing because once again, they always say it's darkest before the dawn and all that struggle, all that parts that you had to go through legit made you the person you are. And I do not know one single very highly successful person that hasn't gone through that, that hasn't been that relentless, that hasn't been that person that understands delayed gratification. So congratulations with all that, my brother. Last thing I want to ask you over here is, where can our community reach you? If they want to work with you, if they want to get any questions about finances, where can they reach you? Please mention that. As well, do you work with international clients or you're more locally based in Vegas? So please go ahead and tell us all that. Yeah, our clients can reach out to us. We have a uh, website called awpwealthbuilder.com. And there's a lot of frequently asked questions that we get that we've just built that site for our clients to or prospective investors just to, to find out answers. There's also um, our advisor audit. So a lot of people are using advisor services across the country or the world. And we want to make sure that we're putting out what you should be asking, right? We talked about earlier how you don't know what questions to ask until you're faced with asking a question. So we want to make sure that we've armed investors with some questions that you can ask a financial advisor or financial professional, no matter which country you live in. And you can get answers and and. Most of the time, you'd be surprised how often we hear that people don't have an answer for it as a financial advisor. And they're not hard questions. It's just things that our clients should be asking. Um, And then as far as working with clients, primarily we're in the US. We do some financial planning and work for some clients that are international, but the investment side, we don't touch on the international side um, unless it happens to be just international investments for US clients. So I'm big on understanding the international world and the market that that we live in is is generally interspersed with everything else. But for our clients, they're predominantly here in the U.S. I love that. Michael, thank you very much. All the information that Michael gave is going to be in the description uh, in the show notes. Uh, As well, I'm going to go really look into that because I didn't even notice that those questions that you asked and all that so we could know what to, to, to be aware of if you want to talk to financial buyers. I'm definitely going to dive into that. So Michael, man, thank you very much for having this moment with us. I love the way you just showed up with energy, with all the the golden nuggets that you gave us to the community today. So I really appreciate you. And I just want to say, have a blessed day. You as well. Thanks, Christopher. All right. Thank you. Welcome. Christopher Dedan here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Fitness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and click that subscribe button. 
Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didier. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day.